Pastor Ed Taylor says apply a little patience in your interactions with others. You, you need to hear and be sensitive with patience and tact as we serve others. I mean, think about it. Our friends are hurting and struggling. They need our help. And if you're not careful, you'll just be in the mode, well, just, I just want to diagnose it and fix it. And then, you know, here, take two scriptures and call me in the morning kind of attitude. And that's not what our friends need. They need loving care and patience, even as they're wrestling with the truths that we've shared. It's a trap for all of us to avoid. Just looking at someone, here's the problem, buddy. You know, you're in sin, you're all messed up, and you need to repent. Instead of taking time to explain that to them, this is what the Bible says, this is what your behavior looks like. Look, it's, yeah, it's true. You know, it's true, you're in sin, you need to repent. But this is what the Lord has revealed through your actions, through your words, through His Word. Friends, listen, like Daniel, we must be patient. This is amazing grace. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us here at Abounding Grace, where we open and study the Bible, seeking God's truth and grace to apply to our daily lives. Pastor Ed Taylor is taking us through John's gospel right now, and we left off in the middle of chapter 10. His message today is titled, Your Security is Found in Jesus. And if you need to leave us early, just go to AboundingGraceRadio.com when it's most convenient. You can hear the program in its entirety right there. Here's Pastor Ed. We're in the Gospel of John. Chapter 10 is where we left off last time. We actually took a pause, you'll recall, in Psalm 23. We are listening to Jesus describe himself as the good shepherd. So we want to know what does a good shepherd look like? And we paused in Psalm 23. And then to come to find out that Dr. Selah also shared in Psalm 23. I think he wanted to correct a few mistakes that I made, I'm sure. And he shared with us. I haven't listened to it yet. I can't wait to, uh, just knowing how the Lord uses him. And now we're back, back in John chapter 10. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse 17. But you know, the, the difficult part of following Jesus, I would say the most difficult part of following Jesus is our selfishness, our self-centeredness our self-thought. And living in the narcissistic culture that we do only makes it harder. You know, Paul put it this way when he wrote to the Ephesians. He said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. And that's a true statement. There is a lot of self that gets in the way of our spiritual growth and our maturity. After all, it's Jesus when he said, he told us that in order to follow him, if anyone desires to follow him, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, if anyone wants to follow him, he says, if you want to follow me, you must first deny yourself. And isn't that one of the greatest barriers in our lives where ourselves are elevated above everything everyone and everything else. So time and time again, what does the Bible tell us to do? 
Time and time again, the Bible admonishes and exhorts us to not think too highly of ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. The Bible exhorts us that, and warns us that pride comes before destruction. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Because it's so easy to get engrossed with your own life, with making a name for yourself, with getting ahead, with working hard on some earthly goal. And while you choose that path, your priorities get shifted. And along the way, you forgot you were following Jesus, not making a name for yourself. And along the way, you forgot that you were here for the kingdom work and not just for the earthly work. And somewhere along the way, you lost sight of the larger eternal picture. I dare say it happens to most, if not all of us, from time to time. You see, you can make a choice to pour yourself into this world, or you can choose to pour yourself into God and his kingdom. I mean, if you really want to do something that has real eternal impact, then give yourself wholly over to God. Like the theme of our year as a church is to go all in, to be 100% committed, to, to move in that direction, to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him to commit yourself and not, don't get things flipped around. Remember Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus said this. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Listen, you're strategically placed in this world for a reason. You have the education that you have and the career that you have and the desires that you have and the upbringing you have on purpose. God is using it for his glory. He wants to use it even more. This isn't a call to quit your job and move to the mountains, not at all, but rather to deny yourself and embrace the place that you have in society, using it for the kingdom of God, truly embracing the call of Jesus to deny yourself. And it's with that in mind that we come to John chapter 10 as Jesus is in this section of describing, self, describing himself. And remember he had said in verse 15, the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And the other sheep which I have are not of this fold, them I also must bring. They will hear my voice, and there'll be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, verse 17, my Father loves me. See, not only is he known by his Father, but he enjoys love of relationship with the Father in unity. Therefore, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I've received from my Father. See, it's not just the instruction of Jesus, not just the teaching of Jesus. It's the example of Jesus. Selflessness. And he says in a prophetic way at this point in his life that there's coming a time where I will willingly lay down my life. Now, looking back on that event, we know that he's referring to the crucifixion. That he's saying, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. But also notice he says, I also have the power to raise it up. I have the power to lay down my life, but I also have the power to take it again. Prophetically looking to the resurrection. That not only would he die, but he'd rise again. Now mark this because it's very important to understand. The death and resurrection of Jesus, more in particular the death, the crucifixion, the torturous death that Jesus went through for you and me, was voluntary. It was voluntary. Nobody made Jesus die for you and me. He did it voluntarily. These are powerful words. 
The love of the Father toward the Son is eternal, and in that eternal love, the Father acts in creation, but he also acts in redemption. And Jesus is in full control. He lays down his life. Nobody takes it from him. The death of Jesus Christ was voluntary. He wasn't a martyr. He wasn't murdered. He, in his death, wasn't just a horrible accident. It was from the foundation of the earth. He laid down his life for our salvation willingly. This is a willing act on his part. He willingly gave himself. I mean, what great love. He didn't die because he had to as much as he died because he wanted to. He came into the world to die. Jesus allowed himself to be crucified even as he demonstrated power enough to shake the earth, the foundations of the earth. He's the creator of the universe. Think of it. He remained silent. The Bible records many times he remained silent before his accusers when he had at his access all the power of the universe. He could have called 12 legion of angels down and took care of it right there and just be done with this nonsense. But in his heart, from an eternal perspective, I mean, if you really think of it, in his eternal foreknowledge, he had you and me in mind voluntarily dying and rising again. I mean, it's so powerful, so wonderful. Now notice verse 19, he says, or the, John writes for us, because of what he said, therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. Now that makes sense because you experience the same thing. You, you can talk about anything about anything. And you can talk about religion, you can talk about church, you can talk about spiritual things, you can talk about football, you can talk about Oprah, you can talk about everything. But as soon as you mention Jesus, you're going to get a response. There will be division, which is one of the reasons why I think that there is a hesitancy to really talk about the essence of your faith. It's not about a church. It's not about what church you go to, who your pastor is. or It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And anytime Jesus is brought into a conversation, anytime his words are mentioned, well, you know, what'd you do this weekend? Well, I went to church, and well, what, do you, what do you do at church? Well, we studied the, the life and times of Jesus Christ and what he said. Oh, Jesus, you don't believe in Jesus. And there's always a division that comes. Notice, here's the two sides. Many of them, verse 20 said, he has a demon and is mad or insane. Why do you listen to him? Now, isn't this ridiculous? This is a ridiculous accusation. We've studied together now through John chapter 10. Nine and a half chapters we've studied. Have you seen or heard anything that you would associate to the demonic realm? Like he's a demon or, I mean, it's one of those ridiculous accusations. Have you ever had a ridiculous accusation thrown your way? I mean, when you listen to it, you're like, people believe that? Like that's so untrue. Like it's not even believable. And yet the enemy's always, he's the accuser of the brethren. And one of the things I found to be true with the devil is not only does he not let up, but he will often shoot his accusations directly to those things that you pride yourself in. Like maybe you think, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person, and maybe the testimony of your life is a pretty good person. Then someone comes along and says, you're a rotten person. And you're like, what? You don't even know me. How could you say such a thing? And then people around them are starting to believe it. That, that's what's happening with Jesus. This is a ridiculous Accusation it has no merit whatsoever. And verse 21, the other side, these are not the words. There's a more reasonable group of people. These aren't the words of a demon or one that has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So there's always division with Jesus. Wherever he went, he always brought division. 
And notice verse 22 now. And for you Bible students, just understand there's a block of time between verse 21 and verse 22. Um, You know, he goes from the, the first part of John chapter 10, probably happened around October. And now we see in verse 22, they're into winter more along on the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, is in December, our calendar. So in verse 22, it says, uh, months later now, it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you don't believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Months later, he's still the talk of the town. And when he shows up into the area of the temple, you'll notice that the Jews are surrounding him. Now, the tense of the Greek word there has the idea of aggressively pressing in him, wanting a a quick answer, demanding from him, telling him, how long will you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, over and over and over again, Jesus has told them plainly. It, it It is without doubt he has declared himself on more than one occasion who he is, oneness with the Father, God in human flesh. But once again, we're, we're reminded that there is a group of people that it's not more information that they need. They just need to believe on what they've already been given. Do you know how when you're sharing the gospel, you can become very impatient with people? Uh, you, you, want to, you want to share with them and you want to see an immediate response. I have that personality, I understand. I, I still get a little discouraged when we're in a gathering like this and the gospel goes out and there's no visible response. And yet over the years I've learned that it's not just a visible response because God, when he sends his word out, he will accomplish the purpose for which it's sent. And I may never see the result of it. You may never see the result You may never hear of the result of your faithfulness in sharing the gospel. And yet you know that God is faithful when you share the gospel. You need to be patient and wait upon the Lord, knowing that it's important that as you're loving and as you're sharing in this world, we won't always see the fruit of the seeds that we've been used to plant. Even though in our hearts we want that immediate change. I mean, who doesn't? We're praying for our loved ones. We're praying for our friends. We're praying for our boss. Like, man, we know the hope of heaven. We know the forgiveness of sins. We know of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know how he died for our sins. And yet we need to remember, well, turn over with me, would you, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We need to remember that the fruit of the Spirit is patience, long-suffering. God's work The work of God through his Holy Spirit for some is a process, and it takes time to develop into maturity. Don't be so quick to be discouraged or to give up on people, because for many it's a process. We're planning. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is how Paul describes it, using the picture of a farmer, you know, using a picture of a gardener. It says in verse 5, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believe, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, 
but God gave the increase. So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God gives the increase. Just mark that in your life and in your heart today. God gives the increase. Yeah, you might be used to plant a seed. You might be used to water that seed. But anytime there is a work happening in a person's life, it is always the work of God and not man. Salvation, aren't you so glad that salvation doesn't depend upon you and your clear words, you know, how you work so, you're studying. I think we need to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's within us, like the Bible says, but not rely so much on our good argumentation, our logic, putting all things in order. I mean, definitely give a strong answer. The Bible has answers, but don't rely upon how good you gave an answer or how good you put it together. Just know that you're planting a seed, you're watering a seed. And over the years, I've just learned that when I'm talking to someone about the things of God, I need to remember, and this is how I approach it, you know, whether it's somebody calling in on the radio show or I have the opportunity to share with someone in the market or whatever, that when I'm sharing with them, I mean, if God wants to do a work right then and there, I'm I'm excited and I'm ready. But if he doesn't, When I'm sharing, I'm remembering I'm sharing for the next conversation. I want to plant something in their life. Like, like I, I want to be able to, you know, because sometimes when you're sharing, you'll get accused of cramming the Bible down someone's throat. You ever been accused of that? Don't you? That's just such a, do you get the picture of yeah, putting somebody down and having your knee on there and t- tearing out a page and just stuffing it down their mouth? I mean, we don't cram the Bible. I mean, I don't, maybe our methodology sometimes make it feel that way, but, but that's not my heart. Cramming a Bible down your throat isn't going to save you. Only Jesus Christ is going to save you. So I have no desire to, to somehow force my views on you, but it's good to talk about it. You've got a view. I've got a view. Let's lay it out on the table and see which view has more merit. And sometimes as a defensive mechanism, people come up with excuses. But I don't have in my, in my mind trying to cram the Bible down. What I have in my mind, I, I kind of look at it as was I'm sharing where there's seed and watering. I kind of look at it as, as dropping a grenade of truth in their life that maybe a day or two later it's going to explode. And they're going to have to think about it. I, I want to share enough that when they walk away from me, they've got something to think about. They've got to chew on it. And maybe even chewing on it's going to come up with a follow-up question. Or, you know, the truth is just going to explode in their life, and I won't even be there to hear it. You need to be careful to wait on the Lord for His leading and His guiding. To be really prepared, just recognizing you're planting your water. You might be dropping a, a, you know, a spiritual grenade into someone's life that right at the right time, the Lord is going to explode in their life, and they're going to get it. He's going to open their eyes. Let me show you what that looks like. Would you turn back with me to the book of Daniel? Daniel chapter 4. He is a great example of this. Daniel chapter 4. It's to the left. Uh, if you're having a hard time look, finding it, just find Ezekiel. And you're like, where is Ezekiel? Well, find Daniel. And Ezekiel's right there. So either way, it's right after Ezekiel. And let, come with me to verse 19 of chapter 4. Because we have this really cool insight in the life of Daniel as he's called to the presence of the ruler of the known world. I mean, the closest thing we can think of today is if like the president of the United States called you into the Oval Office, he had a troubling dream, and he heard that you knew God and you can interpret dreams, you need to come and, and I want to hear what does this dream mean. That's where King Nebuchadnezzar is in chapter 4. He's called for Daniel. And Daniel showed up, verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time. 
Now, mark that because we don't get the substance of it in the New King James, but in the Old King James, it says astonished for an hour. There's a pause in this relationship, in this encounter between Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar, and there's silence for an hour. Why? Well, because it says his thoughts were troubling him. God was revealing something to him, and he stood there in silence for an hour. Now, again, think of it. If you were invited to the Oval Office, your, your faith was heard by the President of the United States. You go to the Oval Office. I mean, you're going to be nervous. Your heart's going to be beaten. It's going to be an amazing experience. And yet, there you are with, the, with, with one of the leaders of the known world, and you're just silent for an hour. Just silent. Just waiting on God to give you direction. Waiting on God to give you the words. Even with all the pressure. I mean, you could think, you know, I'm on a tight schedule and I, don't, I, don't, I can't wait for an hour and you get the pressure. Tell me right now. And you're just like, man. And you could, see, you, you could see on your face, you're troubled. Because notice here, uh, so the king finally spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. This is bad news. It's bad news. And he's about to lay before in the rest of it the bad news for King Nebuchadnezzar. But in this, we have a great insight in the life of young Daniel. It's a model, really, as we minister to others. Too often, we find ourselves speaking before we think. Has that ever happened to you? You just, your mouth's running way faster than your mind's. And it's one of those things where you say something and life goes into slow motion and the words are coming out of your mouth, and you go, and your mind finally catches up and go, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that, and it's all happening in instant time, but in your mind it's slow motion because we think far, far faster than, or we speak far faster than we think. And we need to learn to wait on the Lord when we're ministering to others, when we're serving them. Even better, we need to learn to speak not before we're praying and seeking the Lord. We need to learn to wait and pray and seek wisdom from God. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. So even when it seems right, we need to wait for confirmation from the word. Even more than that, you know, speaking after we think, speaking after we pray and seek God's wisdom, even more than that, we need to be careful not to speak with the attitude of leaning on our own understanding. As if you've sized the whole situation up and you go, I've heard this before and I just read this in a book and I learned this in school. Look, you don't know what you're dealing with. You need wisdom from heaven. You you need to hear and be sensitive with patience and tact as we serve others. I mean, think about it. Our friends are hurting and struggling. They need our help. And if you're not careful, you'll just be in the mode, well, I just want to diagnose it and fix it. And then, you know, here, take two scriptures and call me in the morning kind of attitude. And that's not what our friends need. They need loving care and patience, even as they're wrestling with the truths that we've shared. It's a trap for all of us to avoid. Just looking at someone, here's the problem, buddy. You know, you're in sin. You're all messed up, and you need to repent. Instead of taking time to explain that to them, this is what the Bible says. This is what your behavior looks like. Look, it's, yeah, it's true. You know, it's true. You're in sin. You need to repent. But this is what the Lord has revealed through your actions, through your words, through his word, Friends, listen, like Daniel, we must be patient. The people in your life right now, they deserve for you to walk in the Spirit and be patient with them. 
This is Abounding Grace, and Pastor Ed Taylor is leading a study of John's Gospel right now. You can hear these radio programs on our website anytime at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to go and grow in the Word is by downloading our app. Search for Ed Taylor. This is a great way for you to take in the Word of God wherever you may be. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, too. See if this sounds familiar. You have a stubborn habit. You've prayed about it, surrendered it to God, and yet you still can't seem to break free. It's about that time that discouragement can begin to set in. Well, today we'd like to recommend a helpful book authored by Erwin Lutzer called How to Break a Stubborn Habit. In it, you'll find three essential ground rules you need to accept in order to change. Also, discover the secret to dismissing tempting thoughts. And Erwin Lutzer uncovers the roles of God, Satan, and your loved ones in your success or failure. Request a copy today when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.store. And here at Abounding Grace, we look to the Lord to provide for us. If He's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support, please visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, that will do it for today. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Ed Taylor will pick up where we left off in the Gospel of John here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.